When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to DNF. That is your podcast for all things Formula One. I am Spencer Hall, joined as always by Jessica Smetana. Hello, Jessica. Did you happen to watch the Australian Grand Prix this weekend? This is a rhetorical question. I know you did. I was laughed. I chuckled when you said the name of our show is DNF because everyone DNF'd at the Australian Grand Prix. We're trendsetters, finally. Spencer, I wanted to ask you before we start talking about how chaotic and crazy that was, especially the ending. How do you manage to watch races that start at 1 a.m.? Do you stay up late or do you watch it the next morning? I will watch it the next morning. I salute everyone who is insane enough to stay up until 1 a.m. to Like watch. our producer, Doug. Right. Who Shouts out to Doug because, good God, I don't have <laughs> that kind of endurance, especially because I spent five hours watching WrestleMania leading up to that. <laughs> and then to be... I'm, I made the right call because I... All right, so come into the mind of somebody spending a lot of time on the couch watching too many sports this weekend... WrestleMania ended at 12.15, 12.15 a.m. Eastern. Wow. Not unfeasible no. to simply stay up and watch it. But then I thought, what if there's some fuckery? You should always ask the question, what if there's some fuckery afoot? And that is exactly what happened. We ended up getting not one, not two, but three, three red flags. A NASCAR-esque performance for the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, I think if I had tried to stay up, if I didn't fall asleep during the first one, I would have fallen asleep during the second. And there's no way I wouldn't have fallen asleep during the third because, oh, my God, that was the weirdest. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Fast forwarded a little through the second red flag when I was rewatching it Sunday morning because I knew mm -hmm. something crazy was going to happen later. And I was like, all right, this is not even going to be the craziest thing that we talk about in this race. And then I was not disappointed when I saw the final or laps play out, or not play out, really, I guess. Uh, as much a survival race as anything else, F1 did go full NASCAR for a day. 
F1 <laughs> managed to have, yes, three, three red flags in a single race. Did this manage to change the outcome that we were accustomed to in 2023 of Red Bull smoking everyone on the field and winning easily? No, it didn't. This this is not what happened. No, but it did allow an opportunity for people that have not gotten a lot of points this season to get more points. And there was a tiny glimmer of hope that Nico Hulkenberg and Yuki Tsunoda were going to finish really high up after the disastrous third, I guess, th- third restart, fourth start of the race. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Where should we begin? We have a million questions from fans. They're all pretty good. So we can start with that or we can start with just like our basic thoughts watching slash rewatching on Sunday. I wanted to go ahead and just start with um, start with the basics. The basics are this, that yes, Red Bull continue to dominate to the point where George Russell at one point suggested that they're sandbagging. That's the, that's the most amazing thing to me, that Red Bull, um, after Max Verstappen, despite these finishes, right, despite this, they would stop the race, contract everyone back to a start, and then let them all go. And time and time again... Red Bull came out on top. Although, if you'll notice, a rare moment of maturity for Max Verstappen in letting Hamilton go on the first start, just saying, you know what? I got yeah, you. I that got was you. Shocking. What do we think happened there? He just got, he couldn't get temperature in his tires, or he was like, I, this doesn't matter. It's not worth risking a collision. I'm going to pass you later in this race. It was almost insulting. <laughs> it was. It was almost insulting. Like, sure. Go ahead and have that. You can go ahead and take that because this car is a full seven tenths uh, a second better per lap than your right. car. I I ain't got to worry about it is what I think was the thought in his head. It was. So at the be- beginning of the race, George Russell taking uh getting his tires changed after I think it was lap eight, the first red flag or the first safety car, which was terrible luck for him. And so early on, I thought to myself, wow, George Russell is screwed. Like that's terrible luck. Why did he pit and Lewis didn't pit? Whose strategy choice was that? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the race, I was like, this doesn't even matter. This, If you finished, wherever you finished, if you didn't DNF in this race, it was all a crapshoot because everything that happened in the final restart, basically, well, I, I don't want to say it was all Carlos Sainz's fault, but he, he kind of started it, was just yeah. pure. If you got through that a lot, like with your car intact, Mm-hmm. You are a lucky person. That's not enough for some in the British press. Remember, at all points, the British press must point to their precious lad, George Russell, as something to be protected. The Daily Mirror <laughs> had a piece that had me in stitches because it seriously suggested that uh, that restarts shouldn't happen because <laughs> uh, because they're unfavorable or that people should. I believe it was that people shouldn't be allowed to get a free pit stop under caution, right? Under virtual safety car red flags. Uh, or under the red flag because George pitted on purpose. Everyone else shouldn't get a freebie. Everybody else. Yeah, that's amazing to me that the Daily Mirror was like, protect our precious lad. Well, okay. So I feel like Formula One's having a continued moral panic about safety cars versus red flags. And it's yeah. not its not that it started in Abu Dhabi, but I think that was like the inflection point on this moral panic because if you're watching this race and you saw like Alex Albon's car kick some gravel into the track and thought, wow, they need to stop the race for this, like mm-hmm. you, you were probably alone because I don't think many people watching thought like, okay, this warrants a red flag. And then later on with Kevin Magnuson's car and his tire being in the middle of the road, again, 
something where I could see that not being a red flag. And so I wonder where you land on this. And is this the fault of all of us stupid Netflix fans who want the most exciting finishes to races? Or is this the FIA being like, this is going to be great for us and we don't know what we're doing anyway, so we can kind of just call the shots as we go? We're casual fans, but we're trying to improve the level of professional elite uh, black armband VIP member fans, mm. Jessica. So we need to go ahead and start practicing this habit. Blame FIA. That's it. Blame FIA. Just You can always blame the bureaucrats. You can always blame the people in charge. I encourage you to do this. You should blame FIA. This is... We are kind of stuck in 2021 Abu Dhabi forever because yeah. FIA has been so hesitant to do anything decisive since then. FIA did one thing that was decisive and it clouded an otherwise interesting championship picture and created controversy forever. So they've been loath to do anything decisive since um, after firing Michael Mazzi as race director. It just seems like they can't pull the trigger on something and say, this is what we think, deal with it. The restarts, the idea that you needed a caution for everything, that's not coming out of thin air. That's not controversy emerging from a chattering class down to the races. That's coming from the drivers themselves. This is from Verstappen, who, as we reminded you, by the way, Max Verstappen, um, because he is this kind of dude, he's going to complain constantly anyway. This is what winning drivers do. They complain. They legislate in the middle of the race. And they say things like this, which occasionally end up being accurate. He said, I am very happy to have won, but the race towards the end was a bit of a mess. I just didn't understand why we needed a red flag. It left a lot of drivers confused. If we would have had a safety car and then a normal rolling start, we wouldn't have had all these shunts. And then you have a normal finish. So they created the problem themselves. Lando Norris uh, had similar comments after the race. He's like, the people making the rules don't know what's happening inside yeah. the car. Like, this is not what we want. Like, they are race drivers. They want excitement. They want to go, you know, wheel to wheel with other drivers, but they don't mm -hmm. want to have to restart with like two laps to go at the end of the race and risk being putting themselves in jeopardy or putting their car in jeopardy for the rest of the season because of something that, maybe didn't need to happen. It's funny you bring up Michael Massey because I was listening to the Sky Sports Formula One podcast and Ted Kravitz said that he was back on the grid this weekend. Yes. <laughs> Which is like, wait, we should have known some some tomfoolery was going to happen. But mm -hmm. he was like on the grid shaking hands with people and Toto Wolff was conspicuously absent. He was not at the Red Bull garage for whatever reason or at the Mercedes garage for whatever reason while Michael Massey was walking around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we should have known then, Spencer. We should have known. known. Listen, the man's back, and he's got a passion for one thing, being around controversial and poorly officiated F1 races. Um, <laughs> this is, this is, by the way, like, to, to borrow another, you know, racing-type fan's experience, this is not what you want in Formula 1. Like, a rolling start, a rolling restart is what you want because every time you restart, you get this kind of stuff. Every time, yeah. like this is this is the NASCAR fans experience. If you get a bunch of restarts, no matter what you're dealing with, you get a contraction of cars and you will get collisions, especially when you have a place like Australia where you've got this big sweep like turn three. Turn three did nothing all day but eat people off restarts. That's all turn right. three did. And, you know, every single driver, when they were restarting at the end of the race, was thinking, if I can get through turn three, I'm good because good. no one's going to be able to, like, there's not going to be DRS because there's only mm -hmm. a couple laps left. You don't get DRS 
before, you know, two laps have elapsed after some sort of restart. So that's not going to come into effect. There's going to be a big bunching up, like you mentioned. And if you can just yep. get through those three turns, you're home free. And so I'm sure when like Yuki Sonoda ended up out there, I think in like P5 <laughs> out through turn three, he was mm-hmm. thinking like, this is this is my moment. And then the FIA yeah. snatched it away, which was like the restart. Sure. Say that that was silly. You didn't need a red flag there, whatever. But then the whole controversy with deciding the race order, Spencer, where do you land on that? Because that in itself caused Haas to protest. Uh, There was a penalty on Carlos Sainz and because Mm -hmm. of the restart, it screwed him over. Like where to, where to even begin? I think you have to go ahead and make the call quickly, decisively, and unfairly. There are so many overlapping (laughs) rules. This is true. Like, and I think this is, we're kind of cursed by replay. I think replay for the greater sports fan has been a gift and a curse because yes, you get replay. some things. Well, you get some things correct, but at the same time, it's always going to make the officials look less steady because even if I get the right call, I required replay to do it, and my authority has been eroded by it. We used to mm-hmm. just say, "Okay, bad call. Maybe we got screwed. Maybe we didn't. Um, you move on." With replay, there's always the possibility of maybe you got it wrong, and even if you okay. get it right. Because of the presence of replay, the infallibility of the official, or at least the infallibility of their authority, has been undermined. Uh, the simpler way of saying it is this. Get on with it. Get on with it. I And understand that, by the way, when you apply rules, some of them will be applied inconsistently by necessity. Carlos Sainz was in, incurred a five-second penalty for a thing that happened on a lap that technically didn't happen. Right. This is something that Fernando Alonso, God, Fernando Alonso's on such a heater of like old guy <laughs> power, he is on a streak of just dad wisdom because the minute yeah. that he got spun out in that final restart, or, or the, the restart prior to the last one, the one that <laughs> ate everybody, you know, on there's so many three. of them. Yeah. When he did that in the car, he goes, ah, oh, okay, cool. It's not going to count. He did that in real time, man. <laughs> he did that in real time. In, in a car that had just spun out in the middle of a race. It had to be a terrifying experience. And all the while, he's going, process emotion, check rule book, cool. That's it. He did that in, like, no time whatsoever. Yeah. It's hard to go down the rules applied inconsistently rabbit hole without the entire thing unfurling into, like, existential questions about, like, yeah. well, they didn't go through the first sector. Well, what is a sector anyways? Like, what? Do, what what else do we litigate based off of like the amounts of sectors gone through? Yeah. It's a very like it, it just seems super arbitrary and they want to always like go back to what the previous precedent was that was sent. And yet like the precedents change every single freaking race, every season, something happens that's like precedent set, setting because the rules tend to be vague or utilized incorrectly because I don't know. Carlos Sainz called this, by the way, the biggest disgrace he'd seen in the sport for many <laughs> okay. years. His post-game interview comments or post-race interview comments were truly, I'm still in national championship mode, if you can't tell. Yesterday, I was watching the women's NCAA championship, and my brain is very basketball-focused right now. So if you hear me talk about Max Verstappen hitting a three, you'll know where that came from. But yeah, Carlos Sainz's comments after the race were truly the most depressing. Like him and, I always thought, Charles Leclerc, who we haven't even talked about, who also had a, a terrible day yesterday, like flying all the way to Australia, getting less than a lap. That's tragic. But mm-hmm. Carlos, I think I always thought like Leclerc 
he's the most depressed Ferrari driver. And Carlos, he's still like he still has like hope in front of him. He yes. still has something to hope for. I think after this weekend, they're both one, one A and one B in terms of how clinically depressed they probably are. I think I think science did have a point though because yeah, he definitely had every- a point, it, but it didn't matter. It does, you, nothing you, matters. <laughs> you, you take everybody off. You take everybody out of the race. You pack them back up. You put them into a tiny little ball with very little time left, and then you say go. If you make a racing move and it doesn't pan out which is what happened to Carlos there, mm-hmm. all right? You could just say, it's a racing move. That That's that's it. They say it's a racing move. Um, this was this was eventually what the judgment on uh, Charles Leclerc and Lance Stroll was, I believe. Lance Stroll uh, had spoken with him and said that, oh, you know, hey, racing move. Racing move, it, it happens, right? Because you have a bunch of people in close contact with each other. Right. There was no, you know, no penalty necessary. Okay, we, we've done it. It's done and dusted. Why do you slap him with a five-second penalty when he's already had, you know, when he's already been put in a terrible situation. Like, the the situation itself is the punishment. The restart is, the like, putting in there, you already have enough adversity. Why are you going to... Why are you going to penalize somebody for playing the hand that they were given? All right? And for making mistakes. You can't... If it was out of malice, I get it. Right? If it was reckless, I also get it. I, I think five seconds is a little too hard. I'm not the only one who thinks yeah. that. Fernando Alonso, after the race, also said he thought the penalty was a bit harsh. Again, nobody better with like a quick read on the rules than Fernando Alonso. In retirement, by the way, th- let's go ahead. Race Marshal Fernando Alonso, go ahead. He seems to be better <laughs> at it than the FIA. That's a dangerous game. I I think we should play a game called Who Had the Worst Time? In Australia, Mm -hmm. because I think it would be really hard to choose between both Ferrari drivers, both Alpine drivers, George Russell, and who else am I missing? I mean, K-Mag and Alex Albon had bad days, too. But there was a whole lot of carnage. I'm going to say that that for worst day, it's very hard to beat the meaninglessness of Alpine knocking themselves out. Yeah, I know that Ferrari is on a tear through the pages of every bad thing that can happen to a Ferrari team in one year. I get that, but they were still running pretty well. Carlos Sainz still managed to at least finish the race. Alpine didn't even get to do that because of yes, a restart and yes, the drivers taking each other out. So I'm not going to, when both of you, this is the classic old walk through the door at the same time gag where two people walk in and jam each other in the door and fall over. Alpine did that. They win. I think they had the worst time. What about you? Who who else had an absolutely deplorable time there? Oh, man, it's hard to it's hard to not say Charles Leclerc because his time was so terrible. It's like we don't mm-hmm. even have to really talk about it. Like it happened yeah. before anything even like cool or interesting happened, and it just no one even I, like it's it's crazy to look at the drivers' championship standings and see like five or six drivers ahead of him, and he has six points. Max Verstappen has 96, I believe, mm-hmm. on the season. Like, he is so far off of any sort of competition, even for second place, which is where he was at this time last season, like, leading the pack. And it just, I don't know, I just feel for him. And and it seems like there was so much hope for Ferrari at the beginning of the season with the changes in leadership, and yet all of these terrible, bad luck, cursed things keep happening to them. The flip side of that, I think McLaren had probably the best weekend that they could have hoped for, surely by not having a car DNF or crash. 
Hey, do you know what McLaren was? McLaren stayed up late enough to win the poker game. That's it. Everybody got yeah. too tired. Everybody started falling out, and they managed to stumble into points anyway. Should they feel really great about how things went? Um, I, I can't tell you how to manage your emotions. If I were a hater, I would say no, because everyone else fell out. At the same time, when somebody gives you a free biscuit, take it. All right? When, like, this is... The steak fell off the plate, and the dog caught it. That That's what it is, okay? And if, if fate gives you a freebie, you take a freebie. So, hey, r run with it, McLaren. Hey, that brings me to one of the questions that someone tweeted at us, which is, apparently all McLaren needs to have a, for a successful season is to have eight cars DNF every race. Is that sustainable? Yes. Yeah. 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 They just run them all at Australia. Yeah. I mean, it seems like things are getting sillier. The application of the rules is getting sillier. Who's to say this won't happen again soon? Yeah. That's I. Why not? Given everything I've seen this season and the tight competition that we have seen and some of the indecision with the FIA managing races midstream. Why not? OK. That also brings me to a, a follow up on on Car our Carlos conversation. How long must Carlos Sainz suffer for winning his first race last year? Do we think this is like a, a karmic uh, retribution situation? How would you be able to tell the universe getting revenge on you from standard Ferrari outcome? <laughs> I would say no. that that we don't have enough data given this. I, I do have a, a bright side for Ferrari in this, though, which is at least you're not doing this to yourselves. Like, at least, at least these are external demons that you're fighting and no longer the team handicapping itself before the race even starts. You know what? That's fair, I guess. I don't know. Which one would you prefer? Would you prefer to be, like, cursed by a demon or have your team just be inept and it always end up in the same outcome? I would much rather have the demon because... You can call Russell Crowe. That's right. The Pope's, the Pope's Exorcist. Exorcist. The <laughs> I Pope's... saw that movie last week. <laughs> can that we talk like about that movie. next? <laughs> you, did you see that? Yes, I got a screener because we interviewed Russell Crowe for the Levitard show last week. Is it exactly the popcorn movie that I imagine it is? Yeah. So the thing that disturbed me the most about the movie is not the premise being that like a young boy is possessed by a satanic demon. It's that the young boy then is playing the, the character, like the actor is playing the character of the possessed demon person. And then like the demon is talking through the young boy's mouth, right? Like this mm -hmm. is a, a common horror trope. But the demon says some really fucked up shit. Like yeah. things that a young boy should not be saying um, to Russell Crowe. And it has like that has scarred me, I think, more than any other exorcism trope. Like, yeah, there's like blood like like etched into his skin. Like we've seen that before. Yeah, there's like other like gross like, you know, people gross shit that happens but like the demon telling like russell crowe to like really disturbing to me um mm -hmm. so yeah i didn't sleep well after that this is this sounds like a movie by the way that you would have made up 10 years ago that russell crowe <laughs> would be doing in 10 years right like, yeah it's yeah, it doesn't like a family a guy bit. yeah, yeah he's, he's gonna have a tunic and he's gonna he's gonna like be fighting with a demon yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wanted to, uh, so I don't think this is karma. I just think this is standard Ferrari stuff for this year. And maybe they're, maybe they're getting it all out of the way early. You know, good, good for them. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I would like to answer the following question, which is related, which is from uh, Corey Schulenberg. Will Charles ever escape hell? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, they're too good. 
they're too good for this to be the pattern forever for Ferrari. I know that I've probably just ensured that he will never escape hell and this will be Ferrari for all time. They've come too far. They've come too far and they've made too many of the right calls for this to be this way forever. So like, I, I think that what you'll see is a more robust competition between Mercedes and Ferrari that will be one of the more interesting things that happen along with the improving Aston team, the two, three, four spot is where you want that kind of competition. And Ferrari's going to be right there. I'm sorry. This is when you have this much bad luck, I mean, actual misfortune at one point, they're going to have to win something. And, but, and by the way, great setup. Cause when Charles Leclerc, when Charles Leclerc finally gets that win, Oh, the pop, the crowd pop's going to be insane. Yeah. Look, I don't know. I think that part of me believes philosophically that like usually bad luck is balanced out by future good luck. But then part of me also is like, well, I'm, I'm a Notre Dame football fan. So surely that's not the case. And I think Ferrari and Notre Dame football have a lot in common. So I understand <laughs> I understand the hell that they're in and the uh, the expectation that there there really isn't any hope on the horizon for them as a team. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I have a question for you that I am curious your thoughts of someone who's followed Formula One for longer than I have. Like, do you think the FIA listens to the drivers when they say like, hey, guys, that's not cool. Don't do that to us. Like, don't make us restart in this like winner take all kind of stakes scenario at the end of a race where we know shit's going to go down. I think they look at the product, I think. And I think rightfully so. Listening to the individual complaints of the drivers has a a law of diminishing returns because the best drivers will always complain. Um, You know, we had this discussion on the ESPN post-race show where you say, well, you know, do we listen to Lewis more now that he's not winning and complaining as opposed to when he was winning and complaining? Well, yeah, because inevitably the drivers, when they're looking for margins, they'll complain. They look for little edges to pick up. They do things like Max Verstappen trying to find, trying to, in the middle of a race, he was clearly going to dominate saying, oh, Lewis is like not the right distance from the safety car. Really? In the <laughs> middle of a race where you got to worry about this thing going 195 miles an hour, you're doing that, but that's what they do. That That is what they do every single time. So I think they look at the quality of the overall product and they're probably not happy with how the product looked in the last three laps. Because yes, we're laughing and talking about it. They don't want to finish a race under caution. I don't think anyone ever wants to finish a race under caution. I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it. It doesn't happen that often. No. If it happens every now and then, so what? But yeah, you're you're right. I think they probably look at the the spectacle and like the I don't think they like being like made fun of for not knowing how to apply their own rules or having like kind of judgment mm-hmm. calls that people disagree with, but I do think they like when people are like, "Wow, what a crazy race." And that's the takeaway. Yeah. So, my other question because this is this also stems from something that the FIA has been hyper focused on the season, which is drivers lining up outside of the white grid lines on a mm-hmm. on a restart or at the start, and yeah. people were tweeting pictures of Max Verstappen's car appearing to be over the white line, and any other season probably doesn't get any sort of attention paid to it, but since drivers have been penalized for that, that's this season. Now the FIA has kind of opened this slippery slope argument for like, well, is that over too? Are we gonna are we gonna call this every single time we see it? Or are you guys gonna decide that this time it's fine? Now it appears that in the rule book you are allowed to be on the white line, but you can't be over the white line. And since Verstappen's tire was still technically on it, despite him being like a yard or two further in front of it, 
it didn't matter. But now fans are hyper-focused on things that probably don't create that much of a competitive advantage overall, but are things that the FIA has decided like, oh, we we really care about that. Like that is, you know, we can't we can't have this sort of like difference in where cars are parked. We can't. We need to, like we said last week or on the last show, like prove our own worth of our existence and litigate that. Yeah, I it's it's difficult for me to say, given the inconsistency of everything FIA has been since you know before Abu Dhabi 2021 but especially after but I do think I do think they look at it and go you know how do we one way with the last note one way that a big fake sports bureaucracy like FIA right like a place that has its own headquarters and flag despite being basically the cartel that organizes the races right a ridiculously over prestiged kind of organization one way they make their their existence justified is by enforcing the rules and by doing so loudly and decisively. I wish they'd be a little more decisive about it, even if they're wrong, honestly, because waiting is the worst part. W- waiting mm-hmm. and waiting and hemming and hawing about it. Not nah, just if you, even if you're gonna do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing quickly. Is all I ask as a fan, right? Yep. Be a women's basketball ref. All right. <laughs> just, Long calls ter- all the time, and then you're just like, "Yep, well, that, them's the breaks." As yeah, Boris no, Johnson we'll, we'll we'll get it in the film room. Sorry about it. <laughs> well, the game's over, so we can't change who won. And the FA is like, "Yes, you can." <laughs> let me let me tell you guys something. Yes, you can. Um, who had the sadder weekend? Some Joseph Burton, Charles, Alex, or Pierre? Hmm. I I'm gonna go with with Charles. Charles had a real sad weekend. That's that's very sad. Williams Williams did look like they had pace for a minute. So, yeah, you know, Alex Albon certainly has his complaints that he can lodge against the universe. I thought they looked pretty, you know, they looked it, this is one of those weekends where you go. There are some teams that finished like McLaren, and I don't think they have. I think their optimism would be deceptive. And then there are some teams that had some disasters that I go, hey, you know, before you put the thing into the wall, you look pretty good. Yeah, Williams. Williams has got some stuff cooking. They they look pretty good. McLaren. I'm like, I don't know if anything's changed. Y'all just managed to finish the race, which, um, I did want to go ahead and and have some words about that. By the way, because yes, Lando Norris managed to finish a race. Okay, but our oft awarded best lad George Russell did not. Okay, mm. and I think that that's. That's unfair because we can't give him best lad every week. But I do want to go ahead and recognize something pleasant that happened to our best bloke. Yeah. Top bloke. That's right. Oscar Piastri. Look at you in year one. Finishing the race in front of the home crowd. Didn't put it in the wall. Kept it clean. Managed to not embarrass yourself. Which is, you know, I'm not damning with faint praise. I wanted to just say, you did exactly what you were supposed to do and looked pretty good doing it. That's good for a rookie. In Australia, did the home folks proud. So the best bloke this week is going to go to Oscar Piastri. Because when else are we going to get to play a cheesy song about Australia? I listened to that in the car yesterday. Uh in honor of the Australian Grand Prix. So I'm glad that we share one shriveled up brain cell. Um, I listened to it unironically, though. Uh, listen, 
I, I listen to Network and Ironically as well. So that's fine. <laughs> Even though if we wanted to really portray, like, portray and, and, and pay homage to the average Aussie sports fan, it'd probably be some like thumping techno that they play in a Bali yeah. disco. Like that's that's to me way more Australian. But yes, one shriveled brain cell, you get men at work. I think it was Carlos Sainz who was praising the uh, the breakfasts in Australia and saying like, I just, I love eating breakfast. They're like, okay, like, <laughs> cool. What? And he's like, it's just like, you know, they have the best breakfast here. And it's true that they are known for like toasts. So I don't know what to do with that. There was also another thing I heard on uh, Ted Kravitz say, which was that Logan Sargent was like, Melbourne really reminds me of a city in America, but I don't know which one. And Ted was trying to guess which city it was. Um, and he was like, I, I don't know, maybe Chicago, but Spencer, have you ever been to Melbourne? I feel like, I, I don't know what com- city to compare to either. I think Logan Sargent just meant it felt like an American city, not I like think that's a specific what he, like, American city. Right? I mean, I, I think what he meant was, I think what he meant was they have bacon and eggs for breakfast. I think that's what both they of these guys They have avocado toast. That's what I'm saying. Like, Carlos Sainz is like, this breakfast is crazy. And I'm like, it's literally like, just like toast with a with like avocado on it, right? That's what. Well, that's what Ted said. I'm not trying to stereotype Australian breakfast, but no, it's it's probably the, this says a lot about Americans. It's probably because it's a full meal at breakfast. Yeah, that's it. That's my guess. And when Logan Sargent said it reminds me of American city, I was like, Sunny, Sunny. <laughs> that's probably that's probably what it means. Right. <laughs> uh, they're they do they have public transport there? Probably. Yeah, but no, that would see, be another. That would be another big. Maybe he meant it felt like Fort Lauderdale. That would, <laughs> I don't know. It it feels like an American city. I don't know, Logan Sargent. Your experience as what an American city is as somebody who was brought up pretty wealthy, probably very different than the average Americans. Is my guess. Well, I think Doug's going to Australia this summer for the Women's World Cup, so we'll get back to everyone on which American city Melbourne is like. But if you have any ideas, please tweet them at us because I've never been, and I'd like to know what to compare it to. Yeah. If anything, um, really. Yeah. I, I I would just like to, b- before we go, somebody had asked, just said, how impressed were you at Otmar's composure when interviewed by Sky Sports mere seconds after his two drivers took each other out in the dumbest fashion? I assure you that uh, Otmar, the race manager for Alpine, um, he knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, these guys, I- they don't like each other. Shit's yeah, going to yeah. get weird. But more Zafnauer, I, I am pretty sure that he was aware this was a possibility, especially because there is a fascinating thing happening in the middle of the pack right now. They're all so tight that you get some really good racing there. Um, you know, even when the cars might be struggling, Yuki Sonoda has specialized this year in holding dudes off for six, seven, sometimes 10 laps with a car that clearly can't keep pace mm-hmm. um, just through sheer driving audacity. And I'm sure Otmar knew it was coming. Like it just it, it like it was a matter of time when you have two drivers as closely matched, um, who already had a little bit of tension there. Um, when it happened, what else are you supposed to do? Like <laughs> just like shit. <laughs> I didn't do that. My drivers did. They're like our country is in ruins, and so are our cars. Yeah, just w- whatever, man. He gives me race. strong middle manager energy, and so. His composure, like this is the kind of interview you give when HR is in the room and you you mm-hmm. know exactly what to say that's like kind of mild tempered, but 
showing your disappointment. And I think like that's a type of managerial spirit that a lot of managers lack, but he's really, really great at that. Anytime, anytime he was on screen and Drive to Survive, you knew he was going to say something and nothing at the same time. Yeah, Omar is Omar is a cool customer, but he's also like Alpine's manager. So like that's a little different if it's coming from Mercedes guy. Toto can get on and do a little Storm and Drong because, well, he's Toto. We all know who Toto is. Toto can come up and it's not fair. Or it can be like, that's unacceptable. Or we're working on it. Like that, that's because <laughs> that, they're winning because they're one of right. the top teams. You know, when you're Alpine, you got to keep it cool. Yeah. Cool as a cucumber. Any final thoughts about the massive, uh, for lack of a better word, shit show that was the Australian Grand Prix? It was chaotic. There was good racing in it, though. Oh, yeah. And I think that's getting overshadowed. We certainly overshadowed it. Like, there was a lot of overtaking in the middle of the pack. There was a lot of, like, fun stuff happening um, with the McLarens and the Mercedes and all the other drivers. Like, it was it was an exciting race um, that was overshadowed by the massive cluster at the end. Yeah. Special praise for Sergio Perez. I know that some people expected yes. him to to catch all the way up and get into P3 or P2 because he drives a Red Bull. Uh, I am sorry to inform you there are other drivers out there, but nonetheless, Perez made it very, very exciting coming driver all the way of the from day. the back of the pack. Yeah, driver of the day. Biggest Delta picking up the most spots in the day. I like, start him in the back of the pack. Start a Red Bull in the back of the pack every race. I like watching them just eat people up and catch, catch up to the leaders. Absolutely. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes it gets old. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not we have an unusual calendar coming up because yeah we don't have a race until i believe april 30th yeah well there was supposed i think the chinese grand prix was supposed to be on the 16th or 17th and so yes. that got canceled so there's like a three or four week break and then baku and miami baku, baku and then uh your home race of miami Jessica, the track, the track you mm -hmm. call home. We'll I actually was, I was actually at the track this weekend at the Miami Open, the uh, tennis tournament. Yeah. Um, nothing to report. Looks the same. Still a track. Uh, still a track. So, do we still have the fake lake? Do we still have the fake? Still lagoon? have a fake lake. They did build a permanent paddock, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, I I was looking at it and I was like, is there any? They they make you like walk through like the back of the hard rock to get to the Miami open. And I was like, Ooh, maybe there's some like proprietary information back here. I can, you know, report mm -hmm. something. No, just looked like a track and some stands. So the next time you'll hear from us will be after the Azerbaijan grand prix. I can't ba Baku just underrated as far as, I, I don't know the, the viewing experience for Baku is cool because it's like if you built a, a magical oil fueled Houston in the middle of an ancient ancient fortress city, right? What would, what do we think Logan Sargent will compare it to? Logan Sargent will compare it to an American city. <laughs> That's it. I think this is what he does. Hey, this one reminds me of Oh wait, no, that thinking of like Disneyland or something. It's going to go to Singapore. It'll be like this reminds me of Fort Lauderdale. <laughs>Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. 
serving collectors since 1945.